0: And to these words, all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Well, last Sunday, uh, I said that all too often we speak about uh, God's blessings in an overly, uh, personally subjective way. So when we say things like, uh, that was such a blessing, we really mean what? That was such a blessing. What do we mean? say something that was a blessing what we mean is, what we mean is I feel really good about that <laughs> I feel really good about that uh, and even if we say something like uh, it was a blessing to help you out it was a blessing to help you out again what are we really saying there I felt really good about it you know I, I did my daily good work my, my daily good duty uh, and I feel really good about what I helped you to do so whether we are we are blessed or whether we bless others, we, we we talk about blessings as something that's about us. It's about you, it's about me. On the contrary, the language of blessing in Scripture is, as I said last Sunday, uh, God's objectives, gifts to us in Christ. God's blessings are his objective, gifts to us in Christ. And we sing this in our Old Testament psalm, uh, number one hundred and three, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me bless his holy name. Why? Why do we sing, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me bless his holy name? Why do we say that? The psalmist goes on to say, doesn't he? Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who renews your abuse like the eagle. Who is the who there in Psalm one hundred three? Who forgives? Who crowns you? So forth. God, the Lord, right? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, right? Who? The Lord. Who does all these wonderful things? So we bless God because He has first blessed us in Christ. Our subjective praise of God is only because He's done something for us in Christ. In the New Testament, we saw this last Sunday as well. Ephesians one. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? Who? The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So, we bless God because He has blessed us in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, our subjective blessing of God, right? Our praise of God, our thanks to God is because God has objectively done something (laughs) for us in Jesus Christ. Further, the the act of blessing in the Bible, the ancient practice, uh, is where a patriarch, a dad, right, the the father of the family, speaks blessings to his sons, especially. And those blessings, this is it here in our story, story, uh, those blessings weren't just sort of sentimental feel-good words. At the end of dad's life. But these were an objective way of bestowing an inheritance upon a child. So in the Old Testament, blessings like Jacob's are legal, like a legal document. These are an oral will. It's an oral last will and testament. It has the force of law, right? So this is how they would do it back then. And our story describes that. Kind of a deathbed oral will here. The last of the patriarchs, Jacob, gathers his sons to bestow upon them an inheritance. What does Jacob have to give to his sons? What did I say last Sunday? What does Jacob have to give to his sons? He has nothing to give. He has nothing to give. He has nothing to give chapter 48 verse 21 if you just turn back there you'll see that. I just mentioned this last Sunday chapter 48 verse 21 at the end of uh, his blessing of Ephraim Manasseh 48 verse 21 he says uh, he says to Joseph, behold, I'm about to die, but God, but God be with you And so all he has to give is the Lord. Is the blessing of God. It's the grace and mercy of God. And so his words are not really even about the sons. Because he doesn't have anything to give them. His words are about the lines that come from those sons. The family lines. The tribes of Israel, right? The, the history of Israel. And so these words, these, these, these blessings on his deathbed to his sons, he really doesn't have much to give except the Lord. Uh, These are prophetic words, these are prophetic words of the family of Israel, that culminates in Jesus Christ, and it comes to us, it comes to us, and so these are blessings or benedictions of a new creation. These words speak forward beyond just Israel and those various lines and tribes and families. They speak beyond that to the ultimate reality of them all, of Jesus Christ. They speak to us. They speak to us in the new covenant. So let's look at these words together. First of all, notice the benedictions are expressed to Jacob's sons. Okay? They, they are expressed in the first place to Jacob's sons. They're around his bed. They're right there. Uh, and, and he moves here in, in these benedictions, these blessings, from his sons that were born to Leah to those born to Bilhah, Leah's uh, uh, servant, then Zilpah, then Zilpah again, then back to Bilhah. In other words, all those associated with Leah. And finally to the sons that are born to Rachel. And except for reversing the, the order of Zebulun and Issachar, they're, they're listed chronologically. Uh, according to their birth, okay? But what's most important about that, besides that little sort of literary structure, uh, is, is how these blessings are structured in the, in the canon, the, the place that they're put here in Genesis, and the structure of how Genesis has been unfolding. So Genesis 50 has only a couple of little lines of dialogue, a couple of little lines of speech. Genesis 49, the last speech, the last speech, Genesis. Uh, And and as we see, it's speech that pronounces blessings upon the sons in the forms of these prophecies of their future family. In other words, the last speech of Genesis, chapter 49, Jacob's speech, speaking forth into what is going to be, they are like creative speech. So the, the book of Genesis ends, its last speech ends with creative speech, words that are going to create reality in the line of the Israelites, the prophecy of here, we'll see of Jesus Christ. How did Genesis begin again? So it ends with speech that creates. How did it begin again? How did Genesis begin? In the beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning God made heavens and earth. It's a nice little narrative line, right? And. The, the, the earth was formless and void, the Spirit of God hovered the face of the deep. And then what? Beginning in verse 3, who speaks? God speaks, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was good first day, etc. etc. So the, the story of Genesis begins with God's speech, creating reality. And it ends with a speech that speaks of future reality. God said it was good. God called it all very good. So, the beginning of Genesis spoke of the origin, and the beginning of not just the world, but Israel as a as a people. And it ends on that note, with them as a people, as a church, as an assembly, speaking forth to what they are going to be. So, speech, right? Here, here are words that are creating reality. They're creating uh, a new creation. A people for God's Now, let me just mention two things here by way of application of that. You think about the speeches. Genesis begins and it almost ends uh, with with speech. God's speech, Jacob's speech. Creation of the world, creation of uh, the the people of Israel, the tribes of Israel. First of all, because of how Jacob speaks of them as a people, and how they are going to be a creation of God as a people, it reminds us and it teaches us that we as God's people, still today, uh, we are to identify ourselves how God does. The whole way that we identify ourselves should change. When we think about Genesis 1, Genesis 49, the whole way that we think of ourselves should change. The world offers us self-esteem. The devil offers us self-awareness in our own sinful flesh because we are we are by nature narcissists. We love ourselves. We buy into all this stuff. What the world says what we should think about ourselves. How the devil says we should think about ourselves. And because we, we like that stuff and it makes us feel good it puffs us up. We buy into it all. But here God is saying that his word is what creates reality. His word is what gives to us our real identity. And so you and I have got to think of ourselves as God does. We've got to think of ourselves as God does. God says that you are his son. You are his child. God says that you are justified. God says that he's the one who is sanctifying you. God says that he's going to glorify you. God says that he's the one who's preserving you. God says that you're forgiven of all your sins do we want to identify ourselves with, with what the world says that we should think about ourselves or what God says that we should think about ourselves God's words create reality not the world, not the devil, not ourselves God creates reality he says to you as a believing repentant believing sinner that you are my child and all my grace, all my inheritance is yours every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is in So okay? stop, you don't have to go look for it you don't have to go try to find something more there's nothing more the world can give to your identity to make you more fulfilled and more satisfied. Well, you already have it in God. You've already got it all. So, when we read these speeches, we should learn first of all that we should we should identify ourselves how God does. And secondly, this idea that Israel was a new creation; these words of Jacob are going to create them as a people that should open up our eyes and our hearts to the wonder of the grace of God. Who's speaking these words again on the steppe? Who's speaking his words in Genesis 49? Jacob. 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 Good. Uh, pretty good guy, right? So far, so far, pretty good guy in the story. Trust the Lord 100% all the time, right? Always on fire. You yeah. uh, know, God says something, he falls after God. Never afraid of his brother, right? Never afraid. Never runs away. Never talks about God as the God of my father, right? No, we've seen his, his, his faith. He has faith, but he struggles. He's just like you and me. Here's this guy, this patriarch, right? He's one of the three great patriarchs. But here he is, this, this one that we see, especially his sins laid bare in the story. He, he is the one whom God is using to create this new people. And who are the ones to whom he's speaking? Who is he talking to here? Monks in the desert, 100 percent, all under the Lord, right? <laughs> Justified, all, uh, uh, perfect, never sin, right? Who are these sons again? What they do to their brother Joseph again? Lied about him, put him into, put him into slavery. Uh, wanted to kill him. Yeah, let's not kill him. Let's make some money off him instead, right? Make him a slave. Don't forget them. Sinner, speaking of his sinful sons, that God in his grace has chosen. And again, that's what makes the people of God the people of God, that God chooses them. It's not because you and I are, are perfect and sinless and holy, we walk in water, we, we float on clouds, strumming hearts. Because God has made us who we are. So, seeing that it's Jacob and his sons, who deserve nothing, we see here the superabounding grace of God sinners like you and me they're no different than you and me Uh, they're not super saints they're not uh, perfect holy men walking on earth these are sinners just like you and me so the speech of jacob uh, that, that he expresses these blessings it reminds us to identify ourselves as god does by his own words by his own descriptions of us and it shows us that we are chosen by god in his grace The wonder of his grace to choose any of us in his amazing love. So, that's the first thing we see here. We see these benedictions are expressed uh, by Jacob. He's speaking them. Secondly, I mentioned these are prophetic speeches. They're meant to point forward to something. And So, the second thing to see here is that uh, these benedictions are ended in Christ. They're ended in Christ. And so his blessing here is, first of all, the sons of Leah. And those blessings of Leah, his beloved wife, culminates in Judah. Verses 8 through 12. Culminate in Judah. But he begins with the order in which they're born. Reuben, his firstborn, he invokes this unstable image of water out here. He says it then. Unstable as water. Why? Because after Rachel died, Reuben with Jacob's other wife, Bilhah, defiling his father's bed. And so he says as a firstborn son, the one who is preeminent as firstborn isn't going to have preeminence among his brothers. Again, speaking of the sinners. He moves on to Simeon and Levi. Notice he lumps them together. Uh, that's especially relevant later on for Levi because Levi becomes the, the family line of, of which people grew in Israel. The priests. The priests. The priest, right? And what plot of land are the priests going to get as their inheritance in the Protestant None. None, right? What is their inheritance? It's the Lord, right? It's the Lord. They're cursed here. Interesting. They're cursed by Jacob because of their violence and their vengeance upon Shechem. After Shechem raped their sister Dinah, we saw in chapter 34, they tricked them the false covenant. They got them drunk uh, to dull the pain of circumcision. And as they're all laying there in pain of circumcision, drunk, half drunk, or in a stupor, they go around the camp and they kill them all. Right? That's the line of the priests. Then it comes to Judah. Finally, you might think, well, finally. You, know, you got Reuben, this, this guy who lives with, with his dad's wife, Simeon Levi, just a bunch of murderers. Finally, Judah, who is a a, a real holy vessel for the Lord's salvation. Finally, one who's really going to bring the blessings down from God. Don't forget that he's the one that we saw in the story already. He had a family with a Gentile woman. Then he had sex with his daughter-in-law after he thought that she was a temple prostitute good guy, right? One of our hymns says, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless free. And right? that's what we see. God God uses what he has to do, right? He works with what he's got to work with to bring salvation. Now, Judah's name, which means praise, he's going to be praised by his brother. His hand's going to be in the neck of his enemies. His brothers are going to fall down before him. Uh, and there's this royal imagery of a lion, uh, a lioness to describe Judah. So we're getting the idea here that what what Jacob is prophesying is something about a king. Something about a king. Now what has God said so far in the story of Genesis about a king or kings to come? Has God spoken about kings in Genesis? Called Abraham or Abram, Right? Uh, and he promised him the land, and he said that uh, his his sons, his seed, right, his family is going to be as the, as the sand of the sea, the stars of the heavens. We know all those promises. But do you remember back in number 17 when he told him he, uh, uh, he gave him the, the covenant of circumcision? Chapter 17, at verse number 6, what else is going to come from the line of Abraham? He says, kings. Kings are going to come from the line of Abraham, Abraham. So, especially important for us here in chapter forty-nine, is verse ten, where Jacob prophesies uh, that the scepter I think I know the scepter, right—that that, that stick-looking thing, right, for sort the of kings, queens have this. It's an image of ruling, right? It's a symbol of rule. That the scepter is not going to depart from Judah, the line of Judah, the family line of Judah nor the ruler's staff to between his feet. So the image of a staff between feet, uh, in the ancient world there are there are all kinds of uh, pictures and carvings, artwork, um, where uh, a king is on a throne and at his feet is laying a, a staff, right? His, his kingly staff. But in this language here, there's more going on than just he's a king and at his feet is this little staff, right, on his throne, sort of a symbol of of kingship. More than that going on. The language in the the Old Testament, especially here in Genesis, uh, when something is said to be like between someone's feet, it's a a nice way of saying, it's a euphemism, right? It's a nice way of saying his genitals. Why, why would the Bible use the language of genitals? Why would it say here that this line of kingship uh, is not going to depart from Judah, uh, it's not going to leave from between his feet? Why is it saying that? What's the, what's the first, first, first promise? After the fall, that God gave to the, or God actually spoke to the, to the serpent the first promise of what ultimately is going to happen the seed there's a seed right there's this son right or this is line uh, the seed of the woman genesis three fifteen, that she's going to give birth to a, a seed the seed of the woman he's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent and so that language of this the seed right the reproductive language it's once again brought back. So Genesis starts that way, kind of starts that way, and it almost ends on that very same note of the seed of a line to come. And now we're learning that the seed of the woman is not just going to be the uh, the son of Abram and is going to bless the whole world, but now we're learning that the seed of Abram and uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the seed of the woman is going to be a king. And something more now added to the story. The promise of what's awaiting. And so through Judah's loins would come the kingship. And the kingship amongst Israel is not going to depart until, which is not meant to say at that point it ends, but to say that the kingship is culminated in the one to whom it belongs. I think the old King James says the Shiloh, right? doesn't say Until Shiloh comes. I don't have have, have my old King James. Do you have King James? Yeah. Or the or It's a classic, classic, right? It's a classic. So, uh, yeah, the old King James says until Shiloh comes. This is like the most debated phrase in Genesis. What or who is this Shiloh uh, promise? But at a bare minimum, it's a promise about a king who's going to come. And to him shall obedience of all the peoples be. Now, on the one hand, this obviously is a, is a promise of King David, right? He's the he's the great king by which all other Israelite kings are judged, and he's the king that all the kings to come are, and the Messiah himself is always described as the King of David, son of David of David. So the the language of Shiloh, the language of the the one to whom it belongs, is a prophecy of a royal king, an anointed one, to whom all the nations, all the peoples, notice not just the tribes of Israel, all the peoples, the whole world, is obedient to. And obviously that speaks of David, because he's that great king of Israel. And obviously it speaks then of his son, Solomon who becomes the successor after David. But it's going beyond that. It's looking beyond that. David was promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, that he would have a son on his throne for how long? Forever. forever. You know that that prophecy? How long is the king gonna sit on David's throne? Forever, Forever. 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 Does Solomon live forever? Did Solomon die? And he had sons and they died? And they had sons and they died? And so forth? So who's the promise about? Who's this promise about? There's this son upon a throne, right, forever. Don't the gospel stories, when they talk about the coming Messiah, the the Christ be born, the Virgin Mary, don't don't the angels describe that in terms of being uh, this... This Davidic king is being born. Upon a throne to him belongs the king of David forever yet. And even Solomon's saying about this. Coming king, greater than himself in Psalm 72. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon, throughout all generations. May he, notice Solomon is not speaking of himself. May he have dominion from sea to sea. From the river to the end of the earth. May desert tribes bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. So here in this Genesis 49, this prophecy of Judah is that seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, at the same time bruising his heel. The one is going to be on the throne forever to whom all the nations will bow and be subservient to. And this king... With all this royal conquering kind of language, the see the woman's gonna crush the serpent's head. But by crushing the serpent's head, he's gonna bruise his heel. He's gonna bruise his heel. He conquers, but he's gotta be conquered to conquer. He must suffer first to enter into glory. The prophets speak about that king to come. Telling us in Zechariah nine verse nine, for example, that the king is going to ride into Jerusalem upon a donkey. This very same language of Genesis forty-nine, and that's fulfilled when Jesus rides in in John twelve, Palm Sunday we call it, as a king, but as a sacrificial king. In other words, Genesis three fifteen, that initial promise of the gospel. Every single story, every single chapter, every single verse, somehow, in some way, is moving the storyline forward until it comes to its fruition, to its culmination, to its end point in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of all of eternity, but also the Lord of the earth. Isn't it? Jacob speaks here. He speaks of one to come. Our Lord Jesus Christ, to Him belongs all the praise and all the glory. Him we are to obey, to Him we are to serve. We are to give ourselves to Him. He's the King of the earth. Whether we realize that or not, He's the King of the earth. If you bow your knees, you, you serve Him in your mind, in your heart. With your body, you serve Him. He's worthy of that service, He's eternal God. He's worthy of it because He became a sacrifice for sinners like you and me. Give your life to Him. Serve Him. Humble yourself under His mighty hand. He promises to lift you up when you do that. If you don't know Jesus Christ today or if you're just faking it, He's the King. Humble yourself before Him. Bow your knee to Him and He will lift you up. He will save you from your sin. He will save you from the wrath that is to come. He'll take you to His side. He'll put you into his everlasting arms and that kingdom forever. And as we stand here today thinking about what Jacob spoke to his ancient sons and how that even comes to its end point in Jesus Christ we have to realize that these words also speak to us. Paul told Timothy once in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is inspired by God. We know that verse, right? All scripture is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God. It's spoken out by God. What else does he say about it? About the Word of God. It's, it's breathed profitable. out by God, and, and therefore it's what? It's it's profitable. Profitable. It's profitable. And what's the Word of God? It's in that context, what Paul's writing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, did they have the whole New Testament in one big book? They have the Old Testament. All the Old Testament is breathed out by God. We all give an amen to that, but also it's profitable. How is Genesis 49 profitable for us? beyond the reality that it's Jesus Christ who, uh, to whom it's speaking, uh, of whom it's speaking. And so we stand here as sons and daughters of God, as, as, uh, as, as Abraham's children, spiritual children, as little pebbles of sand, as little stars in the air that light up the night. Here, here we are as a new creation. And the story finds its end in Christ, but also finds its extension to us. It comes to us. Paul calls us new creation in Christ. The one who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Ephesians 2 calls the church the one new man. Jews and Gentiles, no longer a wall division. All those who trust the Messiah are one new man. We are a new creation. We are a new creation in Christ. He's made us His. He's given us repentance and faith to humble ourselves, to bow our knees and Him to love Him, to serve Him by His Holy Spirit. And extends all these blessings to you and to me. Every single spiritual blessing is ours in Christ. Now what? Now what? So we've all come here like dry sponges, right? And we hear that Jesus Christ is the Savior. All of those blessings are ours and so our sponge gets real, real wet. It gets saturated. Now what? Do we just go home and we let that sponge sit and get all moldy all week. That's what happens when you, when you get a sponge all saturated you just leave the city out, right? If you don't use it. You don't bring it out and then use it again. It's going to get moldy and it's going to be useless. We, those who inherit the blessings of Jesus Christ, need to extend... The blessings of Christ that is extended to us, to others, to others. Again, uh, 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 Jacob speaks here in Genesis 49, speaking to the line of Judah, speaking of Jesus, to him shall be the obedience of all the people. How is a person going to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ as King unless they've heard about Him? Unless they know who He is? Unless they know that He's actually calling them to faith? You and I, got to extend this newness to all who will come to God. All that we will go to. I spoke yesterday to a, to a person. Uh, during Sadie's soccer game, the entire game, we watched the game, with one eye and the other eye, we looked at each other and we talked about religion, theology. And he talked about uh, uh, ancient Hawaiian uh, mythology uh, and uh, all the gods of the Hawaiian pantheon and all the religious services over there. And I spoke about Jesus Christ. It was fun. <laughs> it was interesting. It was fun, but... I told you last night. You know, I'm working. I'm working on him. I said, so "What do you mean you're working on him? Wanted to come to church. I Wanted to come to hear about Jesus Christ, The King, the King of the uh, of the universe, of the world." And so, we've got to extend the the newness of the gospel that we have. We've got to extend it to others. And in practical ways, of course, that that means that we that we that, that we shouldn't judge according to outward person looks dress, talk, whatever. Right? The gospel's not just for a certain kind of person, a certain class of person, a certain color of person. The gospel's for sinners. The gospel's for sinners. And I think this congregation is a, is a congregation of sinners turned saints, enemies of the gospel, enemies of God who've been turned into his friends, orphans turned into sons, daughters of God, people who were old creation but yet now we are new creation if that's true of you then you and I are called by God to extend this blessing of the new covenant new creation to all is any wonder then that when John sees that new heaven and new earth in, Re- in Revelation 21 the first thing he describes is the people of that new creation what does he see coming down out of heaven from God? He sees the, the Holy city of the New Jerusalem, but how does he describe it? Like a people. Right? Like a bride, in fact. Coming down out of heaven from God. A new creation. Just objectively blessed by God in Jesus Christ. Psalm, uh, Isaiah, uh... Genesis 49, sorry. Genesis 49. Prophecies of the line... Of uh, Israel, especially the line of Judah, the kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ blesses us with every spiritual blessing, so that we might be, that we might be a blessing to everyone around us. Let's pray that the Lord would use us, uh, bless us, that we might be a blessing, fill us with the gospel, so that we can pour the gospel out. Let's pray, as a uh, church, and go forth uh, in this service. Let's pray. Our great and our gracious God, we thank you for blessing us with Jesus and all that he has, all that he is, all that he's given to us. We don't deserve it. We are uh, humble before you. We're thankful before you uh, today that you have uh, caused us uh, to bow our knees to Jesus as our King and as our Savior. And we ask, Lord, that you would motivate us and move us and uh, transform us and uh, enable us. Enable us to be salt and light, to be witnesses, uh, to be ever ready to give an answer to those who would ask us, uh, to to speak the truth in love, uh, to be full of uh, gospel truth to all kinds of sinners, so they would know that the gospel is for them too, that Jesus Christ is for them too. Uh, Lord, give us success uh, in our personal efforts, but also as a church. Give us success, Lord, in the gospel. Uh, Hopefully, Lord, that you are praised and that you are honored. Lifted up amongst us. We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people's sake. Amen. Amen.